Our first reading this morning is from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 13 to 18, chapter 9, 5 to 6, 13 to 15, and verse 20. On the second day, the heads of the ancestral houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy green trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on their roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Then the Levites said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with our ancestors from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made them known to your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you have sworn to give them. You gave them your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading is taken from the book of John, chapter 7, verses 1 to 2, 11 to 24, and 37 to 44. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel, according to St. John, the seventh chapter, beginning at the first verse. Glory be to thee, O Christ. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, then they will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on their own authority seeks their own glory, but no one who seeks the glory of him who sent me is is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. 
Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the Father, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is a prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise be to thee, O Christ. As we're standing, let's pray together. Father, grant us so to drink of your spirit who runs deep as a flood within your people and overflows from within us for the fulfilling of your will and the doing of your word. We ask this for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Now, as Lynn had mentioned earlier, we have been going through John's gospel as a way of encountering Jesus Christ, his teachings and his acts of signs and powers, as uh, or encountering him as the king of the new creation, wrought to us when he had risen from the dead some 2,000 years ago. So we're starting another chapter today in John, and John 7 follows Jesus' controversial lecture in Capernaum when he taught the crowds that he's the bread of life that had come down from heaven. Now you'd remember this controversy he immediately followed Jesus' multiplying food for over 5,000 people by the shores of the Sea of Galilee during Passover. With a, with a miracle like that, Jesus had now reached peak celebrity status. Some of the religious leaders are after him, while a good chunk of Israel wants to make him king. But as with any celebrity with a massive following, every word Jesus says becomes controversial. It divides the people. Now, one such word, as we had heard from James last week, was a disturbing claim. Equally disturbing for us, as it was for the people back then, Jesus, he offered his flesh. He offered his blood as food and drink for anyone to consume. It was such a distressing word that many of Jesus' followers left him thereafter. Now, the past two Sundays, we've heard from Lynn and James. They'd gone through the Eucharistic overtones of those Jesus' disturbing claim, and we need not venture into them again. But what follows, but what follows in today's gospel reading that Kat had read for us, that's an extension of this Passover controversy, as we'll see later on in this chapter. 
See, chapter 7 contains, yet again, another one of Jesus' controversial and divisive claims as he offers himself as living water, as the living water from heaven. Now, we've heard this from Jesus before, haven't we? You remember in chapter 4, right? Jesus gave the same offer to the Samaritan woman. If you knew who'd be, who's asking you for water, you'd be asking him for water. But the difference now is that Jesus is publicly making the same offer to everyone else. He's not offering it privately to the woman. He's offering it to everyone else in Jerusalem. Jesus' Jesus public offer of living water again divides the crowd, as we've read. Just as they were divided over Jesus' offer of his flesh and blood of the crowd in chapter 6. So what's, what's going on here? Again, we've been going through John's for several months now. We, you may have already clued in on how John styled his gospel. He often centered Jesus' identity around Jewish feast days. In chapter 6, it was his Passover. And then Jesus multiplied bread and fish. And that's when Jesus claimed to be the bread of heaven. And he offered his flesh and blood as drink and food for the world. That's not a coincidence that the central themes of Passover are the unleavened bread and then the blood of the lamb. Jesus revealed himself to be that food, that bread, to be that, blo- that blood to fulfill Passover themes. And this time in chapter 7, Jesus confronts the crowds in Jerusalem. Now this is this time during the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. That's when Jesus will claim to be the living water from heaven, offering himself for anyone to drink. Now, what's significant about the Feast of Booths? Why during this particular holiday? Now, the Feast of Booths is one of those seven chief holidays that the Jews uh, celebrated that God had prescribed through Moses. In Hebrew, it was called Sukkot. It means booths. It means tabernacles. It was so named because it celebrated God's care for Israel as they wandered the desert for 40 years while they lived inside these makeshift booths that they made from whatever they had foraged in the desert. Now, among the many biblical themes surrounding Sukkot, water, water is in fact one of the central themes. See, water represented God's provision in the desert. See, when Israel came to Moses for water, God then commanded for all the leaders to gather at the rock, which God himself said, I will stand upon, and that Moses should strike the rock with the staff. In doing so, water rushed out and the people were rescued. They were satisfied. They got drink. They got water to drink. Now, as much as Sukkot celebrated God's care for his people, it actually taught a deeper significance of placing faith in God, trusting what he said, believing his word, what he promised. Because what lay underneath that first story of the water from the rock revealed the reality of chronic distrust of stubborn cynicism, of moral suspicion inside the people of Israel towards God. In fact, if you recall in the Old Testament, what prompted God to even rain manna from heaven as bread, to give water from the rock as drink, to to send quails as meat for Israel was because Israel complained. Israel griped. Their constant grumbling was a symptom of a human sickness, a distrust of God, and an unbelief of what he said and what they've heard from Moses. So in the end, 
Moses admonished Israel with these famous words from the Bible. You remember how the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness? That he might humble you, test you to know what's in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commands. He humbled you, let you go hungry and fed you with manna. He might make you know that every person does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from his mouth. Yes, Sukkot celebrated God's care for his people in the desert. But more significantly, it celebrated God's presence with them despite their stubbornness and rebellion by giving them still his word, by giving them his good laws, his promises through Moses that they might learn to trust and obey him. All this to say that that's what the water symbolized during the Feast of Booths. It represented God's word. God's promise, God's presence with his people, despite disobedience, distrust, cynicism, moral suspicion towards God. So that's in the backdrop. That's the backdrop of the Feast of Booths, with water as a symbolic token of God's care and God's word for his people. And then that's when Jesus will publicly present himself as water from heaven. With that, let's turn now to our gospel reading. In verse 1, Jesus stayed up in Galilee, up north. It had become dangerous for him to be down south in Judea. The religious leaders were all after him. That wasn't because Jesus was afraid of them, but it wasn't yet his time to be arrested. Then we read in verse 12, Jesus now, at this point, has become a controversial figure. Everyone knows who Jesus is, and everyone is divided over who he is. Some say he's a good man. Some say he's deceiving people. So eventually, Jesus makes the required pilgrimage south into Jerusalem for the seven-day Sukkot festivities. He goes up into the temple, and he begins to teach. He draws a crowd. There are many pilgrims at this point, and they've heard rumors of this itinerant rabbi from the north, and having heard rumors, they now see him in person. So immediately, there's a crowd over him. It's the moment, in fact, it's the first time that Jesus is teaching publicly at the temple in Jerusalem. And this is the first time the citizens of Jerusalem are hearing him for the first time. So in verse 15, we read the people from Jerusalem. This is their first impression of Jesus. They get to see him for the first time. How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? You're from the country. People from Jerusalem, they were cosmopolitan-type folks. They prejudged Jesus on his educational level and his place of origin. They thought, despite his country origins, Jesus was intellectually impressive. But in verse 16, Jesus calls them out under prejudice. My teaching's not mine, but his who sent me. If, If anyone's will is to do God's will, they will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Jesus had earlier defended his authority to teach in chapter 5. Yet here again, Jesus doesn't set himself up as the only authority for his teachings, but he cites a greater authority who backs up his claims, God himself. Because what was in fact so attractive and controversial about Jesus is that he did not teach like a regular rabbi whose curriculum often referenced other rabbis or traditions. Jesus taught like none of them. Remember, he premised his teachings often with like, Amen, Amen, I tell you. You've heard it said, but I'm telling you. Despite what Jesus appears to be some rogue teacher, 
He's not, in fact, breaking the rabbinic tradition. He's, he's following it. All along, Jesus has been referencing a greater authority, a greater tradition, the original tradition of God, the author of the law itself. Jesus had always been teaching the laws of his father, and he performed signs to validate his claims. But even then, despite the miraculous signs, Jesus challenged the people again to conduct their own test. In verse 17, this is the first point that Jesus is making. If anyone's will is to do God's will, they will know whether or not the teaching is from God. He's inviting them. He's inviting us now. Test my teachings yourself. Verify for yourself that what I teach is good and true. What's, what's Jesus saying? He's saying that anyone could know that his teachings is from God by doing them. You'd know that his teachings is good by actually doing them. As New Testament scholar D.A. Carson wrote, divine revelation can only be assessed, as it were, from the inside. From the inside. Let me, uh, let me give a rather benign example. I've never done backcountry camping before until only a bit over a week ago, but before then I've heard so many teachings about it. Some taught it is good. Others, it is bad. I could have just done my own reading and research and made my own personal conclusion about it. In my armchair, air-conditioned office, with Wi-Fi, I would have done all the research, watched YouTube videos on that. But I would never truly know for myself whether it was good or bad or anything in between until I've done it myself. So after doing it, experiencing both good and bad, I can say that it's pretty good. It's pretty good. But the point is this, in God's word, is not like backcountry camping. They're categorically different. But when it comes to the will of God, we all need to try it out for ourselves. You need to personally try it out yourself before you could even write it out or even recommend it to others. If we approach God's word only as a scholar, as a seminarian, as a clergyman, as a, as a religious expert, we can't fully know God. Jesus is inviting every one of us to take the risk, take a deep dive to get fully into God's word if we really want to know if this whole Christianity thing is really good, if it's really true, if it's factual, historical, is grounded on earth, not some fable that's up in the air and so airy and fairy-like. In other words, Jesus is inviting us to a commitment, commitment of following and chasing after the will of God. And we know how hard commitments are, right? But commitments are elementary to the nature of everything that's worthwhile to pursue. Commitment is essential. It's inevitable to anything that is worthwhile to pursue. Friendships, marriages, getting another degree, having a kid for the first time, all of these planning, you need to commit to that, even though you don't know what that's going to happen for the future for you. We can study, study and research to death what all these things are, but we won't ever know what they are until we're committed into them. Such it is with Christianity. If you're here today in this building, if you're tuning in online, you're not sure about God, you're not so sure about Jesus. I'm saying, Jesus is saying, take the risk even now. 
the risk to be surprised. The risk to be surprised, to step into this quest of faith, to personally encounter God in and at his word. Countless others have gone before, and they would have commended the same thing to you. They would have commended the same thing. In this life, the Christian experience won't be perfect, but it will be good. It's hard, it's difficult, but it's good, it's true, just like any good marriage worth fighting for, any good friendship worth holding to and investing, and any good backcountry camping story that you can tell at the end on your way home. I believe you'll find that as you're getting into it, trying to reach into the middle of God's will, as it were, you'll start to notice and feel that God had always been with you. God has been beside you. He's been keeping you and holding you up all along. If anyone's will is to do God's will, they will know whether or not the teaching is from God. That's the first test. Now finally, the second point in Jesus that he will make in verse 37. is during now the last and greatest day of Sukkot. It has, it has arrived. Jesus shows up again in the temple. And he declares, as we've heard from Bridget in the video, If anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of their hearts, will flow rivers of living water. John gave us already a clue. It was very obvious that this is about the Holy Spirit. He will give to those who would believe in him. Now, during during, uh, Sukkot festivities in Jesus' days, there was this established custom that was observed for each of the seven feast days during the time of the morning sacrifice. It enacted a ritual pilgrimage, in fact, of water. This is when the high priest would draw water using a golden vessel. He would be at the pool of Siloam. That was the lowest point in Jerusalem. And then the high priest will literally ascend up. He would climb up into the temple. And he would pass through the water gate at the south of the temple. That's why it's called water gate because water would actually process into it. And he is greeted with trumpets, ram's horn, and with choral singing. When the high priest then begins to pour the water and the daily drink offering of wine into their silver bowls, all the male pilgrims who would be waiting in the temple courts for the priests, they'd raise up myrtle and willow branches and citrus fruits. They were these seasonal harvest uh, fruits. And they shouted three times, Give thanks to the Lord. This custom was not commanded in the Old Testament, but it was developed over time. Because the Jewish people back then, they realized, they they were enacting the symbol of God's provision of water in the desert, and they anticipated the pouring out of the Spirit into all the world. See the high priest pouring out the water, pouring out the wine to the altar that looked forward to the messianic age that was prophesied, in fact, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Zechariah, for when a river would literally flow from the temple... Remember, Israel was a dry and barren land at this point, but a river would flow from under the temple and flood the whole world with new life and new creation. Fish of all kinds will start bursting from this river. It's in this ritual backdrop then that Jesus, the great high priest, he stood up at the temple and declared on the greatest day of Sukkot and declared, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me from their hearts will flow this river. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that the long-anticipated river that would flood the world with new life, with new creation, 
has begun to flow in him and will even flow from the temples of human hearts. It's happening right now. New life, new creation would start to flow from inside the people who would believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great high priest who processes into our lives. He pours out the water and the wine of the Holy Spirit into our bodies. From inside us will become a bubbling spring. And yes, Jesus is the source. We are the vessel. Jesus is the water. We are the pipeline into the world. Now going back to Jesus' earlier invitation. You know, test my will. See whether it's good or true. It's actually saying, it's the Holy Spirit who will enable you, enable me, empower us to commit to the will of God, to do God's word, to trust and obey him. Go back to that story in the desert, Israel in the desert. Proved over and over again the inward problem of chronic distrust, stubborn cynicism, moral suspicion towards God and his laws. It had to take God's word, God's spirit, to dwell, take residence within people in order to supernaturally change us, animate us to become people who not only obeys the law and the word of God, but loves it, promotes it, recommends it, upholds it, commends it to others. It had to take. It had to take the Holy Spirit to live inside us so that anyone could trust God, that anyone could follow his word. Now, this idea was not originally a Christian idea. We had already read this, as Valerie had read for us earlier on in in Nehemiah. The reading from Nehemiah is one of the scriptures that was always read, in fact, in preparation for Sukkot, even today by Jewish observers. In our reading, this community of Israelites, they just returned to Jerusalem from the Persian exile. When they finally got to hear Ezra the priest, he was reading God's law for the first time after so long. They realized that they were supposed to celebrate Sukkot during that calendar year, that that calendar month. So, So they did. They celebrated for seven days. And on the last day, the greatest day of the Feast of Booths, the priests called everyone to gather and pray. They all asked God to forgive their sins, restore Israel again. But you'd notice in the reading, the priests were connecting the dots in the history. They prayed this. God, you gave our ancestors bread from heaven for their hunger, and you brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in to possess the land you'd sworn to give them. And you gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouth. You gave them water for their thirst. They connected the dots. The manna from heaven, that was chapter 6. The water from, heaven, water from heaven from the rock, that's in chapter 7. These were t- physical tokens that anticipated the giving of the Spirit into people's lives to instruct us what to do and how to do it. The time is fulfilled. If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. I will give them the Holy Spirit for the Word of God to dwell in their hearts. Jesus is yet offering to each of us that same drink, the living water, as we wander through the wilderness of this life, as we journey through our spiritual exile. I admonish us, I encourage us, and I I do for myself as well to trust in Jesus. 
Drink of his living water. Receive the Holy Spirit. He's always patient to instruct us, to remind us, to correct us when we go off course. To guide us into all truth. Give us wisdom and knowledge and humility. He's the one who ripens in all of us the fruit of character and virtue. He's polishing and brightening the mirror of God's face in us that we may better reflect his beauty and glory to the people in our lives. For our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, those you would meet on Zoom here in Toronto, wherever you are tuning in today. Let's take the risk. Let's take the deep plunge to commit ourselves to doing God's will. We will find out for yourself, for myself, that his word is good. The word is true. And that drink from Jesus Christ, the living water of heaven, he will freely give lavishly to anyone who asks of the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.